Hello, everybody. Podcast Slam, your host, Sue Forever, and welcome back to the MID Podcast. So, hey, look, I got a special episode right now. I know everybody looking at me real crazy right now. Like, man, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. What you doing on the, on the show this early? But I have a, a very special friend that's on the show today, and I just want to promote her the best I can. Uh, we met down to Savannah a couple of years back. Um, she got a lot of things going on, and we're going to dig into that. How you doing, Dr. Naima? Welcome to the show. I am amazing. <laughs> I'm really, really grateful to be here. It's good to have this conversation with you. Oh, yeah, I, I, and I just wanted to keep my word, because <laughs> I know we um, <laughs> we talked about this. Your sister was kind of getting a little gangster with me over the, over the months, but, you know, <laughs> tell to, to her it's cool. We here. <laughs> We got it. You know what is the best damn public? The best damn publisher. Right? You better put that, that damn in front of chick. it. Cause she yes. <laughs> I was that like, man, she, I think she called me from yo, different numbers. She is. What's that? Yeah, yeah. She fierce. She yeah. fierce. Yeah. Yeah, I thought she was a bill collector at first. I'm like, no, nah, I ain't finna answer this. <laughs> she saw, sent me like three emails. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Now I know what's going on here. <laughs> well, how Love you been? How you been? I am so, I am so, so good. So good. A year, a little over a year ago, maybe about 14, 15 months ago, that yeah. would have been a whole different story. Oh, I know. But today, I'm mm-hmm. good. I'm so good. Thank you for asking. You and the family good? Yeah, everything's good. Just like you said, uh, about 14 months ago, I don't, I don't know if we can <laughs> say the same thing. You know, I think we all yeah. went to, uh, been through a lot of mental stages in our lives, yes. especially with COVID um, hit. And, yes. uh, ups yes. and downs, people coming in and out your life. And it's just like, uh, you know, so. Um, but it's good to hear from you. And I'm glad that yes. we're able to, to have this uh, special episode. And uh, I set aside this time um, just for you. I got up early, took a shower, everything. You know what I'm saying? But it's just, <laughs> it's, you know, we off right now. So I was like, let me come in here and do this show. But I'm very glad that you uh, was able to, you know, put some time aside and, and do the show also. Yeah, this is really dope. I appreciate it. Showered and everything for me. This is a big deal. <laughs> I got appreciate you. It. So before we get into, uh, you just released a book, right? Um, before we get deep into that, um, you also got other things going on, uh, right? So you got your podcast show. Um, tell, tell, tell some people, uh, my fans, uh, what's your podcast's name? And uh, where, where can they find it? And what's it about? Yeah, absolutely. So I started Elevate Now mm-hmm. podcast um, in 2020 when I was really preoccupied with um, losing my practice. So mm-hmm. I am a doctor of chiropractic and I own my own practice. So um, the only buddy, who, the only person who cuts my check is me. Oh, so go ahead when, and flex on. <laughs> yeah, so when the pandemic hit and we were considered uh, essential workers, um, my practice stayed open. Mm. We never closed, and yet probably two thirds of my business. Uh, evaporated uh, almost overnight. Oh, wow. And my entire life savings is wrapped up in my practice. And yeah. I'm a mom. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm a single mom. And so I had 
um, nobody else in my house that was bringing in a paycheck that could help support. And so that was all extremely uh, detrimental to my own emotional well-being. And uh, there's nothing that any of us could do, right? And so one of the things that I had been wanting to do is just have conversations with other entrepreneurs and and really just be nosy and have (laughs) an excuse to have those conversations and really be able to delve deep and ask some, you know, really specific questions on mindset and how do you win and uh, persevere in in, in the face of challenges and obstacles and when my practice slowed down considerably Mm. I had hours and hours of time on my hands and so I just decided that now or never um, and let me focus on something I can control and so I started um, Elevate Now podcast essentially so that I could be really uber nosy and ask other entrepreneurs and creatives and artists like what are you doing? How are you doing it? And, and how have you, you know, overcame different, you know, obstacles and, and roadblocks in your life? And I love having those conversations. Yes. It's been really, really phenomenal for me. Yeah, I, and I would love to be on that show one day, too. Um, because I, I, <laughs> I, I heard a couple of your episodes, and, uh, and, and I'm, uh, it's very inspirational, like, just to hear um uh, just to hear how some people just like you said like you're just really being nosy right and then we yeah we kind of yeah. all be i'm being nosy too like because you know i'm in a podcast thing i'm trying to move on to um making uh short films and, and, and stuff like what? that you know, jumping into being acting and so you know i kind of I, I listen to these type of podcasts to kind of i'm just being nosy too to see like what was their downfalls and how they succeeded um you know just yes. different stuff like that so um yeah. right now I got the the little movie script app. I can write little movie scripts and stuff like that and mm. um just just like this you know it has to branch off into something else. Like you got your podcast and it branched off into a book and you know just everything you just got that motivation to to keep going and just to keep creating other type of content, you know, so which is so dope like when you think about how many talents that we have within each one of us. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, Les Brown says it all the time, the richest place, um, you know, on earth is the cemeteries, right? Because those are where all the dreams go to die. And if you only keep your passions and your blessings that you were here to give, if you only keep them inside your heart and you never birth them mm-hmm. into fruition so that other people get an opportunity to be blessed by your gifts then you're robbing your friends your family your community and the world at large my belief and i love that you decided like let me peel back these layers and see what kind of creative um inspiration that i have that i could then bless other people with because you know when you have a long career in a completely different field mm-hmm. and you pivot midstream yeah. i think that is so <laughs> dope because then you give other people permission to do exactly the same mm-hmm. i love that and, and also you ain't too old to do stuff like <laughs> amen you, you gotta, amen you just gotta just do it, you know. It's 
Yeah. You know, so I I think um just like you, man, like you you just keep going creating content. Couple a couple of years ago, you probably never thought he was gonna write a book. You know, saying that I'm not saying that that was you, but yes. that's how it is. Yes. Like you just wake up mm-hmm. one day like uh I'm just gonna write a book. You know. Um. Yeah. Uh. So, but just like with me, twenty years of in the military, then I just felt like you know my last two years in, I'm just gonna do my passion, and that's you know just being a content creator at that mm. point. You know, you know I so, love that. and then I love like you said, that. I just took that pivot, and and you, seeing you just keep going, dropping books and everything. Cause now I want to write a book. I don't know what it's gonna be about. I love it. But then I'm like, yes. maybe I need to talk about my time coming up in the military. How bad that was, you know? What I'm saying? So, you know, everybody give each other inspiration, and yeah. you just gotta just keep, you know, looking at each other and just get the inspiration from each other and the motivation. So I definitely yeah, um, appreciate that. So let's get into it. Your book, Raise the Lie, right? Um, tell me about it. I mean, raised as a lie. I'm sorry, that was my fault. I was using my Georgia slang, um, <laughs> reading stuff. But her, just, she do have a book out called Raised. <laughs> yeah, you know how we do it. You, you met me before. Mm-hmm. We just be chopping mm-hmm. the words. But I will apologize for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but raised as a lie. Um, your book that's that they came out. Um, and also it's an audio book, right? We are actually just beginning the audio book mm-hmm. portion. Um, right now, like I have a meeting, my very first meeting on Monday, um, with the audiobook um, producer. And I am so psyched about that. Yeah. Are you going to be the one narrative? You going to do the narrative on it? I, I actually am. Oh. And part of me was, part of me was really nervous about that. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking that it would be far better to hire a professional to to read and perform the book mm-hmm. and i asked a lot of people after i was done writing the book and it was you know in um with the publisher and doing the final edits and um printing mm-hmm. i was asking a lot of people like would you listen to a book read by me yeah and almost a hundred percent of people said yes. And that was the reason that I stopped thinking that I should hire somebody, somebody else to do it. Because I mean, here's the truth. I'm like you, I don't play an actor on TV (laughs) and I have never had, you know, um, voice lessons or, um, any training on how to then perform. Mm -hmm. And so that made me feel a little bit nervous about it. But I'm I'm actually really excited to take the project on. And again, it's learning a new uh, a new skill set. And I'm I'm pretty excited because this is my baby mm-hmm. and because I brought this baby from conception to living, breathing, yeah. tangible um, book that you can actually hold in your hands, mm-hmm. then it's not any more important to anybody else than me. So because of that, uh, I, I am definitely going to do the audio portion myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm excited because this was, this was definitely a heart project. Yeah. It's a memoir, right? It is, it's my life, not the entire story, um, mm-hmm. but you know, my childhood in through 20s and through my 20s. And it is so deeply personal Mm -hmm. and a very vulnerable tale of 
how this little brown girl was raised in an all-white family, Mm -hmm. in all-white schools, in all-white neighborhoods, and essentially was lied to and told that I, too, was white. And I had no reference for to um to discount that to um to question my my mother right i i we didn't live around black people i didn't have black friends i um i just did not know and i think that we we trust those who are our caretakers and even when i questioned and asked the answer was always um, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, sweetie. Yeah. You're my doc, right? And it was just really one of those until it all, you know, came to a very um, dramatic um, moment for which that that lie could no longer continue. And I write about that in the book, and it was um, it was pretty challenging. I'm 50 now, about to be 51. I wrote it when I was um, 49, um, going into 50. And I have to say that I think the one thing that you realize as an adult is that your childhood traumas Mm -hmm. absolutely play a role in decisions that you make as an adult. So so there was a lot of therapy back here. Let's peel one part back (laughs) because... When we met in Savannah, when you was telling me bits, because you was telling about you was making a book, you was telling me like your little, uh, your, you know, your bits and parts of the story. I was really um, like shocked because they they made it seem like you was white. Yes. <laughs> and I was, but you you being a young girl and stuff like that, you just kind of like not you're not even arguing with it. You're not really digging deep into it. You was like, yeah, I am white. Until you get around black people, they're like, "Oh, what the, what's, what's, why, why you think you white?" Like, you know, they they kind of open up your eyes to a lot of things. Um, so, how how old were you? And I don't, don't want to, you know, spoil the book or anything like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but how, like, how old were you when you just like realized, like, oh, this is totally wrong? And yeah, I kind of been bamboozled. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. I was actually um, my senior year in high school. I was yeah. almost eighteen. Mm-hmm. We had moved to a very tiny town in Arizona that boasted of zero diversity, mm-hmm. and I um, was going to a brand new high school. And I had been to multiple schools, yeah. um, multiple elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, like. That being the new kid in school was not new to me. Yeah. However, this experience was um, extremely disarming because mm-hmm. the kids were not only just rude, and sometimes kids can just be, you know, spiteful and and um, or dismissive. Mm-hmm. These kids were next level they were um so and where did you like i know you went to multiple schools and i mean to cut you off yeah uh i'm just trying to give everybody like a general what what what, were you were you in the south were you could i got i do got something to carry out to that no in in Mm -hmm. southern california oh um the majority of my 
the majority of my living was Southern California. When I was little, up until about six, I we lived in a on a rural in rural Utah on a farm, and there was nobody, you know, around. Um, it was a tiny, tiny town. But then we moved to Southern California, and um, and we lived in communities where. You know, nobody looked like me, mm-hmm. um, but I internalized all of that. Like uh, there was something wrong with me. Yeah. And so when we finally went, we finally moved, and now I'm a senior in high school, and these mm-hmm. kids were just so blatant and overt with their, um, their you know, dismissal of me um, that I finally got cornered in the cafeteria in three of the high school um boys threatened to take me out wow. to the place where all the kids would um they'd go and they'd build these giant bonfires and this is the desert right and so there's and it's a small town there's nothing around for literally you know hundreds of miles there's just nothing um and um so they would go far out in the sand dunes and you know, do these mm-hmm. bonfires and drink and do whatever stupid things high school kids do. Mm-hmm. And they um, were threatened to take me out and lynch me. Wow. And I did not know what lynching meant, yeah. but I knew that it wasn't good. And I was terrified. Um, and it wasn't until I came home and I called my older sister and was like, listen, <laughs> I'm not sure what's happening. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, don't tell mom. Right. Yeah. And she, of course, told um, mom and I got summoned into my mom's room and it was a conversation that I knew that she didn't want to have. However, she was more concerned about her daughter's physical safety yeah. than she was about continuing um, to keep her secret. Hmm. You know what's funny, right? Um, when I came into the into the Armour Lake basic training, right, to 2003 and it, it was it, it, you, you kind of you stand in formation and then you know when I was there it was like a it was like a white dude next to me and he's staring at me he's just staring at me and I'm like what is your problem man and he was like man, I, <laughs> I I have never seen a black dude in person before I said what <laughs> like it's 2003 but you'd just be amazed how some of these rural areas that that you're talking about um Utah and maybe uh, some parts of California that. All around them is just a, it's just their, their their same race of people, and they just can't believe like it's other race of people outside. That. It's kind of like they're living on another planet. Yes, to say, and, and I was just amazed by that. Like it's two thousand and three, man. <laughs> like, and you know they try to touch your hair, like you just like this little science project. Like, oh wow, so what are those waves? Like, what do you call those? Like, it's just <laughs> it's just kind of amazing how, and it's still like that to this day. Uh, and in some parts of Georgia, they just stopped uh, segregation uh, proms in 2010 in some high schools. Mm. And that's, mm. and I grew up around that. Um, and to add to your story, like my mom, right? Um, my mom, she, um, so her dad was biracial, right? So which means her granddad was, was white. Um, mm-hmm. Now being in the deep South Georgia, when she grew up at, um, where they still had to go around the back of the laundromat to wash their clothes. They had the the whites only water fountains and black. You know what I'm saying? She she was going through the racist part of what you what you went through, like the from the South standpoint. That's why I was asking, like, what region were you in um, when all this happened? 
Um, her being mixed race, light skin with the you know, as 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 black people say, the good hair and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, she was kind of getting picked on by you know white people and her own people, you know, because she was so brighter yeah. than everybody else. Um, and she just always used to tell me those type of stories too. Growing up, like you know, I had it hard both ways. I, I was either yeah. too too pretty or I was bougie or I wasn't black enough or you know, hey, you not you you think you white, but you're not white. You really, you know, you're still black. You know, so I could just imagine being over there in Cali. Like I would even think that would happen in in Cali, uh, at all places. But I'm not from that side of the world. But I definitely understand Utah, though. Definitely understand that. I don't. Yeah, know. I think that there is this very deeply rooted. Um, colorism that shows its you know dark side if you will um all pun intended as this you know persona that sort of emerges where people are programmed to in their responses uh and it is so unfortunate because it is a direct uh, results of slavery and Jim Jim Crowism and and the uh, the programmed self hatred yeah. um, within the black community and what that then you know comes out is this very intolerance of one another and. I certainly can relate to your mom. You know, you're too black to be white and too white to be black. And you're always sort of trying to ride this very delicate line of, you know, how do, how do you get accepted and how do you fit in? I I certainly know that I, I spent the majority of my young adults and early adulthood Hmm. looking for a place that I could call home, yeah, if you will, in. and yeah. yeah, absolutely. Oh man, absolutely. That, go, yeah, even, even when my mom went into the military, she just I still couldn't find my you know <laughs> find my way. I couldn't, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I would never understand that. I think my mama um, found the blackest dude that she ever could find in the world, and made me so I can <laughs> so I could be somewhere. Yeah. You know, in, yeah. in the middle, but you know, it's sad that she even had to go through that extent. I'm not saying she did that. I, that's more of a joke. But um, her, I totally <laughs> understand. Though uh, I actually yeah. made a very conscious decision. Yeah, I dated one white guy, mm-hmm. um, and I made a very conscious decision. Um, this is when I'm in college, and I made a very conscious decision not to continue that relationship. Because Mm -hmm. I, that was, you know, 1920 and I, um, and I knew that I wanted to get married and I knew that I would eventually have children and I refused to recreate 
my childhood. And I knew that I was going to marry a a black man Mm -hmm. and the darker he could be, the better. (laughs) Right. Um, And it was a very conscious choice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I know that you were saying it a little tongue in cheek, but I think that it is very real. I think, yeah, like low key. That's how I looked at it. Like this, my daddy, Mm -hmm. you know, I just came out right there in the middle. Not too dark, not too light, but, after she right. told me all the stories, that's what I just kind of gathered my mind. But um, it, yeah. it, 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 it it went through your mind also. So I, I don't think I was too far off um, with my, yeah. my prediction. Um, I got a good friend. She actually reminds me of you. Um, but she's mixed with um, just like the, the you know, her hair, the eyes and all that. So she actually mm-hmm. reminds you, reminds me of you. Uh, one of my uh, good friend of mine that I work with. And the, the funny thing is, so she's like German black white and like native american like she's like all that mm. so the, when she get a certain hairstyle like white people be like oh damn you is black like you know what i'm saying like when she get like what we call you know the black girl hair you know braids or the um you know cornrows or whatever when she come in to work like that they they looking at her like oh damn yeah, you is black, like, and she like, yeah, <laughs> you know. So she, she tell me all the time, and she's number twenty six years old, and she's she mm. going through it today. Oh, <laughs> you know? mm. uh, yeah. just just being in the army, I was like, yeah, you know, my mom went through it, and and just hearing your story, um, it, it's still yeah. going on to this day. Um, hundred percent, hundred percent. We don't change people's mindsets a overnight, and b there is a very real. Um, perpetuated distinction that always exists so that we can pit one, um, you know, nationality against another, right? Mm -hmm. Because God forbid we unite and see, as Maya Angelou um, used to say, that we are more alike than we are different. Mm -hmm. If we can focus on our differences, then we are always going to continue to infight and we are never going to unify under a banner that we are all human at the end of the day yeah so you started writing this book at 49 right um mm-hmm. what what made you want to just wake up and tell your story like at 49 like, did, did, yeah. did something happen did like did something happen with your son in school or you just decided you know what before i leave this earth i, I want to tell you a story what, what 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 made you want to tell your story you know, it was over some man, of course. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <you. laughs> I uh, I actually got my heart. I, I got my heart broke. Um, wow. At forty, yeah. at forty nine, mm-hmm. I was married for twenty two years, and yeah. I um, had been divorced for uh, going on six years, and I had started dating, and I thought that I had found Mister Forever. Mm-hmm. And I had um, a, a, at this simultaneously, I had a family tragedy where um, um, my best friend for nearly 30 years mm-hmm. lost her son to suicide. Oh, wow. And he was only 13, mm-hmm. and it triggered me on a very deep level. Um, and, you know, I. My, I have, I have three children, and my middle one is a uh, daughter, and she has also struggled with anxiety and depression. Yeah. And um, that was my biggest fear for her. And when that tragedy hit home, 
it was just overwhelming to me. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I had met this man. And so I had put all of these things, all of these emotions and um, and the meaning that I had put behind all of them um, was that I had met this guy and all of these things were going to be better and it was going to be amazing. And when he turned out not to be Mr. Forever and he walked out, I was devastated. And I was devastated to the point that something broke very, very deep inside. Mm. And I didn't know that I could put it back together. Like I felt shattered. I did not feel like something had simply fractured. I felt like it had shattered at a very deep level. And I could not fix myself. I didn't have the answers. I was lost. Mm. And the level of devastation was what terrified me. Mm-hmm. And because it was a very short term relationship, mm-hmm. it was not long at all. Yeah. Um, and it, its effects um, were catastrophic. And so when I started therapy, because I had to figure out truly what was at the root of that and what it came down to, quite frankly, Brett, was childhood traumas and me feeling unworthy, unworthy of success, unworthy of being loved unconditionally, you know, unworthy of um, feeling like I belonged. And I had to go back and heal those parts of myself. And in that process is when I knew that I would write the book but it certainly wasn't before then i had no intentions of telling my story before i think that what we do is we normalize our childhood or our experiences or our life just in general because it is our normal and while my growing up was not the norm it certainly was my normal and so i didn't ever think that there was a story to tell there it was in therapy that I realized some of the very impactful decisions I had made. And here at 49, I was operating as if those meanings that I had attached to myself were in fact true, Mm -hmm. but they weren't. And I had to do a lot of excavating. And so I am a huge, huge proponent for therapy and whatever that looks like, right? Because it can take on different forms for different people. Mm-hmm. But I took myself on as a, uh, a project to heal so that I could show up for myself, right? And how I wanted to live in the world. And as a result of that, you know, out came a 250 page book. Yeah, that's a, I mean that's that's awesome. You, you gotta have those type of downfalls to even come up with um the, yeah. the book. You know. There's yeah. a lot of people that haven't really been through anything. <laughs> I, I noticed that too. And I'm not saying that, you know, you have to go through things in life, but I, I just never judge a but book. But you kinda do. Yeah. You kinda do. <laughs> yeah, 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 I, and I feel you, you know, it's kinda like yeah, you know, it's it's I don't judge a book by the cover too much. But if you ain't been through nothing in life, I kinda don't really deal with you too much because I don't, I don't know how you're going to act when something crazy do happen oh but just like you said all those chain of events just spark something in your in, in your brain to like you know what 
I'm motivated right now. I just want to tell my story now. Uh, I've been through all this, um, you know, heartaches, ups and downs, trauma, which, you know, even kid, your kids got involved into it. Um, and, I, and I totally understand why you want to tell your story at, at, at this point, you know. Um, but I what? think that the mm-hmm. thing that's helpful is I started writing the book to heal myself. Yes. I finished the journey because at any point, you know, along that process, I probably quit a dozen times. I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. What made me complete the journey and have a meaning, have a have something that mattered at the end mm-hmm. that I could say, yes, this this is the culmination of, you know, this is very difficult time in my life was for the other women that were struggling just like I was Mm -hmm. because I believe that that is very true and that we share these desires to feel worthy to feel like we belong Mm -hmm. and I wanted my story to re-remind those who are still struggling with their own worthiness mm. that they are worth every damn thing. Yeah, yeah, that's good advice. That, that was the next question, um, but you hit it right on the head right there. You know, you got to like, like my, my kids are the same way. They they very bright. Like they they like they look like my mama. You know, but their mother is, is she's Puerto Rican and, and black. So it just my kids they they look just like my my mother at the same time. They mm-hmm. and I know they're gonna go through that. The whole you know, you're light skinned, you're bougie and, and all this stuff. So and I tell my kids every day, especially my daughters, like, hey, like, look, you you just as black as everybody else, right? And and you mean something to the world. Don't don't take don't take in don't take in take take to heart what you know the things that you're gonna go to because my oldest you know she about to go to high school and I know she's gonna deal with that. It's always dark mm-hmm. skin versus light skin and and stuff like that. So every day I try to motivate, especially my 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 oldest daughter, that you know everything gonna be all right. And you know I you love just gotta that. you gotta move forward in life and continue to to reach your goals no matter what anybody says. You know. And how beautiful is that that you all are having those conversations? Mm-hmm. It is it is this idea that we stay silent that I think creates the shame yeah. that kids hold around things that they're insecure about. But shame can only live in the dark. Mm-hmm. Once you shine a light on it, it no longer holds any power. Yeah. over you and I love that you are having those conversations because then you give an opportunity for your children to express some of their inner feelings, their doubts, their fears in a very safe environment yeah. for which then that they can release those mm-hmm. because they they can contextualize it. They they have context around it. They know that dad and mom love and support them yeah. and they See them like you all see your kids. Mm -hmm. It is when we feel invisible that we attach 
those unworthy feelings. And that was my experience. And, and so it just, it gives my heart so, so much joy to know that you all are having those conversations because your children, while they might experience colorism out in the world and they might experience racism out in the world, what they're always going to know is that they can be secure in who it is that they are when they look in the mirror. I got you. Um, do do you how you feel about like men when they when, at work we go through this all the time, right? I just think all black women are just beautiful to me, you know. Um, mm-hmm. well, how you feel up? How you feel about men when they pin light skinned girls against dark skinned girls? They do. Do you hear often where you at? Do you know it's um. <laughs> It's interesting. We moved from Southern California when I was still married. We moved from Southern California um, to Georgia and specifically Atlanta because I did want to be in a city um, where there was you know, certainly more of an opportunity for progressive mm-hmm. um, thought processes and mindsets. Um, but my biggest drive and motivator in making that relocation was so that my children could then see themselves in those around them. So not only their peers, but so that their doctors could be black, yeah. their dentists, their um, their teachers, principals, and that they could see other people prospering that looked like them. And so that they then could have this idea about their own potential because mm-hmm. they weren't experiencing that in Southern California. We lived, unfortunately, because we, we wanted to live in a nice area. It was very non-diverse. And so having said that, when I hear when you ask that question, um, it was so important for me, for my children to have that experience because if we had stayed my boys would have chosen other white women um, and girls, you know, their age, of course. Yeah. And, and that was because of proximity. There weren't mm. any other black girls in their, in their classes. And so that then would have been a natural progression. Yeah. And while if that's ultimately what they do end up choosing, then I will love and support their choice but not because they did not have an opportunity to then have a peer group of other females that looked like them. Because that's where I believe this sort of idea around, well, I'm going to choose somebody who doesn't look like me. Well, because you you don't have the experience of understanding that other black women are these beautiful, phenomenal um, creatures yeah. that you then can appreciate and not just the negative stereotypes that we see perpetuated in, you know, in the media. I, mm-hmm. I think that that is where you have your own interpersonal experience that then you can then make the decisions um, on what you're going to choose for yourself. And yeah. so I think that for me in my own life, um, certainly living here in Atlanta for last almost decade and a half now, as opposed to Southern California, what I appreciate is being able to walk out of my house and anywhere that I go, 
I see an absolute influx of beautiful brown faces, all shades yeah. of, um, of black and brown. And it gives me so much joy mm -hmm. because I see myself reflected in them. And I think that that's just this amazing um, sort of new world view, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I think that direct answer to your question, I think that it's unfortunate when men um, of, you know, black men specifically um, discriminate against other black women because I believe, not their belief, but I believe it is because that they have been taught not to love and honor black women. It, it and is. I believe that that comes from programming. Yep. And that programming starts with uh, social media too, the TV, music videos. So, uh, like I see it all the time, TikTok. Like I see it all the time. Yes. Man. It's like, man. But you know, when, when, I, when I talk to them um, at work, and like it's cool to have a preference, but if that's your only reason, you know, I, I don't, that's but you know, with dark skin women. You know, if that's your only reason that I just yeah. don't, don't really rock with that, you know. Yeah. And it, it's sad, but they, they really got programmed. And I ain't gonna lie to <laughs> I mean, the, the the ones that are saying it at my job, they ugly as hell. I don't know why they even trying to be picky in the first place. I be looking at them like, you just need to get what you can get. You out here being you picky. You are wrong for that. You <laughs> because they, for cause that. see, when they say stuff like, now I want to be, now I'm mad. Now I just want to just, like, you at, like, you know, you, uh, Idris Alba out this month. You know, you're not. You know, you, you don't need to be picky at all. <laughs> the, if she pink, you better talk to her because you, you might not have too many chances out here. Um, <laughs> but it definitely starts uh, like social media. Every time I turn my phone on, it's just, man, and then when I see a, like a dark-skinned woman, I'm like, oh, wow. Uh, and, now, and, and that's sad that I'm shocked when I see one, you know, on, on social media. But like you said, it's programming. And yeah. since the beginning of, of time, even back in the slavery days, it's always been you know colorism you know the, even the slave master they'll keep the the light-skinned one in the house even though that might be his child but um they always thought like um you know the the brighter uh african-american was deserved to be in the house versus out in the field and you know i travel the world it's like that in every culture and that that's yeah. what amazes me i went to uh japan no i went to thailand i'm sorry i went to japan too but i went to thailand and it's the same thing over there the 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 brighter skin um Thai women or whatever were, were treated way better than the darker skin ones. So mm. I don't know. It's just like, man, everywhere you mm. go in the world is gonna be the same problem. Um but I don't know. It's it's just kinda crazy how we, we, we almost in two thousand and twenty three. Well we in two thousand twenty two, but look how far we came and we it still goes on to this day. Yeah. Absolutely. It is an, it's an unfortunate mindset. And I think the more conversations mm -hmm. like this that we have, the better opportunity that we can at a very grassroots level to eradicate um, the closed minded thinking. And we give voice to a new mindset that appreciates that there is just this amazing beautiful thing right. that um that emerges when we get to appreciate the variances and not only hues but certainly in our own diversity and 
what we all bring to the table. That's right. This next question, though, I, this is something I just cannot do. <laughs> um, how do you forgive when you can't forget? Mm. I, I can't do it, man. Look, I, if I can't forget <laughs> it, <laughs> I cannot forgive you unless we come back to the table and have a yeah. sit down about it. And yeah. I don't know. You, you, you explain it. Can you do that? I think this is what I have. This is what I have learned mm-hmm. that. And it has taken me a lifetime to appreciate that the bitterness and resentment that we hold in our heart for others, Mm -hmm. what we believe that we, how we have been wronged, um, is only detrimental to ourselves. Ultimately, that thoughts are things right? Thoughts are, are absolute things, and we can create extremely toxic internal environments for our own health and our psyche when we do not process events that have taken place in our life and find a peace around them. Because mm-hmm. here's the thing, forgiveness is not for the other person. Forgiveness is a gift that you give yourself. Cancer is a collection of malignant cells that were once just energy. We all have cancerous cells in our body. It is when they proliferate and they no longer have the checks and balances in our immune system to then mitigate their formation of tumors and um they create all manners of disease in our body but they were once just thoughts right and so we can create disease in our own bodies um because of the resentment and um unforgivingness in our own hearts and so while yes you can choose not to forget But I think that it is so important that we remember perspective. Every story, every event has different versions of perspective to it. And you can hold on to your perspective as if it is the only truth. But that is just incorrect. It isn't the only truth. Whoever else was present there has a different version of events right and so could it be possible that you could ask yourself some very enlightening questions that would then allow for a greater understanding and maybe that comes from forgiveness or maybe you just get to the point where in your life for which that you're not going to let the events that have happened in your life define who you are and how you want to show up in the world. And for me, that was that the the latter was what I ultimately ended up choosing. Yeah. Oh no. I'm I'm working on that forgiving thing because that, because when you can't forgive somebody that weighs on you every day, it's, like, I'll I have a good day that I think about that person. I'll be like, oh, now my day is like, oh, I can't believe that, mother. <laughs> I can't believe he did that. You know what I'm saying? So I'm working on that. My problem is if I just can't forget it, I have to 
I can't forgive the whole situation until we come back to the table and talk about it. You know, but like you said, like it's it's, it's it ha- I have to figure it out for me, so I can just move forward with everything. But you you definitely made a point on that. Really. Hello. I think oh, that I think that is such a great I think it's such a great point because when you realize that you're the one in control mm-hmm. of it, then you have an opportunity to then make a decision moving forward, yeah. right? Like and and I love that though because what it sounds like is that resolution is important to you. Yeah. That's that's really what it is. Especially if I did yeah. nothing wrong, <laughs> you know. If, if, if well, everybody, yeah, but it, you've been married long enough that yeah. you know. But but, but everybody but thinks sometimes that sometimes you're just picking <laughs> one for the team. But but everybody thinks that. Of course, everybody think I ain't doing nothing wrong. Everybody thinks that, but it's, the, it's right, right. But some of the time, I'd be like, I really didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> like, what, what 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 was the issue? You know, um, just just come back and talk. But at the end of the day, it's. So, it, but, but you're right though. It's I have to figure out. You know how to get past it for me to mentally, you know, move on. You know, so just like you, cause I, I can create. Just like you say, we we create um, illness and stuff in in our own bodies, just mentally. You know, what you about to say though? I I think that the great thing is so when you said um, that, like your belief is like, I listen. I didn't do anything wrong. Here's the other thing. This is where forgiveness comes in that I think that is so key is that you get the opportunity to forgive somebody else for their own non-forgiveness, for their own rigidity, for their own thought process that is then making you wrong because you can, just like you do when your children were little, right? You're not going to argue with your toddler about how the, the sky is, you know, purple and gold with streaks of green, like that, it's not, like that's ludicrous to you. You understand that that's not true. You're not going to argue. You're going to go, oh, sweetheart, really? Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're, it's not a thing. And so if you can see other people and their decision-making and that you can see that that will their their thought process doesn't make any sense you can then have compassion Mm -hmm. for that as opposed to and just see it for what it is and then there it it, i i think in that way we don't then take anything personal right um there's this book and i'm not sure if you read it i absolutely love it called the four agreements I heard of it. I have heard of it though. Juan, um, Juan, I think Ruiz, if I'm remembering the author, um, and it was—it's essentially just, I think, a great guide to live your life by. Mm-hmm. And the very first agreement is take nothing personal, because yeah. nothing is personal. It's not about us. We believe that it's about us, and the truth is, is that at any given moment, when you walk into a room and you are worried about what everybody else is thinking about you, mm-hmm. ain't nobody thinking about you. They're all thinking about themselves and they're all wondering how they look and what are the people like. And so when somebody like, especially sometimes if somebody pops off at you and you're just like, what? You kind of look at them crazy because you know that you were not (laughs) deserving of that reaction. It is not about you. Yeah. Right. Right. In my practice, I, 
often have conversations with my assistants um, when they when patients walk through the front door they are not showing up as their best version of themselves. Mm. They are hurting and they are in pain. That's why they came to us. And so you cannot take what they're saying to you personal. It's not about you. They just had a fight with their their, their husband, their wife. Yeah. You know, somebody cut them off in line. Mm -hmm. Their tire was flat when they walked out. Their kids are failing. You know, a class, like whatever the thing is, it's not about you. Yeah. And so if we just re-remember that, I think that we have a better opportunity to show up more compassionate in life. I mean, it, I'm not saying that it's easy, but I do believe that it is necessary to extend far more grace to people than we are willing to do in on most days. That makes sense. I, I, I like that. As soon as somebody pop off at me, I'm like, "Look, it ain't about me." Whatever. <laughs> I don't it's know. Your issue, bro. Yeah, I know. It's, you know that they. Yeah, cause, I mean, we go through it at work. You know, people come in, especially like people with rank. They they yell at everybody mm. else. I'm like, nah, it ain't about mm. me. It's just, well, this old lady must have pissed him off this morning. Yeah, yeah. He just yeah. made it out on us. Um, but yeah. that's definitely good advice to to live by. Um, let's get to the last question so we can. We can yeah. let you go on with your busy day. Um, <laughs> how does one navigate racial identity in a society that remains racially charged? Mm. This is what I believe in my heart. And, it, and it, I think it goes along with what we were just saying. Yeah. Worthiness, I believe, is an inside job. Mm. I believe that it is our individual responsibility to show up healed. Oftentimes we walk around the world with our hand out. Yeah. We are looking for what we can receive from the world and not what our responsibility is to give to the world. Mm -hmm. My belief is that we are here to give of our blessings and our gifts, but we are not here to take anything. Yeah. And in any given environment, we're not going to find perfection. We are going to see and encounter flaws in human behaviors, in situations, um, in institutions. I believe that it is our responsibility, if I can be, um, <laughs> if I can, if I can copy um, the great wise words of. Be the change that you want to see in the world. Mm -hmm. I think that what Gandhi was at least hoping to inspire in people is that we have to show up as the solution. And so, yes, we are not going to see in our lifetimes where, you know, all of, you know, humankind is going to evolve beyond racism and beyond um discrimination mm -hmm. what i do believe is that in our own worlds in our own families that we focus and we teach um, those that are around us how to treat ourselves by doing the internal work by recognizing and realizing and truly harnessing your own worthiness and your own mental health mm -hmm. 
so that you can walk into a room as a healed person as opposed to you know damaged and angry and bitter because when we do that we're never we're never going to be the victors in a more elevated society a more elevated family i think that instead when we choose to put our own near on ourselves mm-hmm. and reflect out into the world how that we want to, for people to to treat us i think that we we win right i think if it was not such an oversimplistic answer i would simply say mm-hmm. applying the golden rule right mm-hmm. that that no matter what you stand in and on the idea that we can show up better as human beings mm-hmm. and it begins with each one of us that's right that's right well look thank you thank you thank you so much for putting putting aside some time to to come talk to you boy <laughs> oh, i man. appreciate oh, it it was such <laughs> a great conversation we end up going about an hour I, I, hey so that's that's how the show goes we get deep into conversations and the time just flies, but I, I really yes. do appreciate um, you actually coming on and and explaining everything, uh, especially when it comes to your book and and, and, and your lifestyle. Um, awesome! Tell I everybody that. Thank you. No, no problem. No problem. So, uh, you know, throw out your um your handles, your website, and everything. Um, Absolutely. Where they can so find you can get the, you can find the book um, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, all those good stuff. Or you can go um, to see the latest happenings uh, to our website, and it is raisedasalie.com. Mm-hmm. And you can always find me on Instagram at uh, Dr. Naima Writes. Okay, and I'm gonna post all that on um, on the group page also. Um, I love it. And, and Thank you, Instagram sir. I put up the episode. Um, I appreciate you, sir. Nah, no problem, ma'am. Doctor. <laughs> do you do you do <laughs> that? that? Do, you, do you do that? Like you'd be like, no, it's doctor. It's it's doctor. Do you know what's really funny? Um, I when I was right about when I was getting ready to graduate, um, I, I sat my kids down. I said, listen. <laughs> Your mama just earned a very expensive title. It's yes. Dr. Mom yeah, to you now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dr. Mom. So I don't, I, the only time that I correct people, um, two times. Mm. One, if you're in my practice and you are there as a patient, mm. um, you are 100% going to use that title. And, um, and if somebody in another environment keeps um insin- like insisting on this i'll mm-hmm. be like yeah that, that's doctor thanks otherwise it's just naima <laughs> <laughs> i got you but you deserve it you deserve to be called doctor after all that so yeah you know it's a lot of time work and money <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i know that's the part you're like yeah money do you know how much money i spent to get this damn title yeah you're gonna call me yeah it's an, it's an expensive title <laughs> Oh, show. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you're down in Atlanta, Georgia. I, I come down there for time to time. A lot of people I grew up with moved up to Atlanta, Georgia. Um, so nice. um, I just had to hit you up next time in town, you know. But, you know, you probably just jumping Please around and making money. So what's that? 
I got you. Yeah, no problem. But thank you again. Um, and anytime, you know, you watching the show, you want to call up here to talk about a, to jump in on the subject that we have, you know, you can do it at any time. Um, and like everybody, that's dope. There. I'd love mm-hmm. to. Yeah, everybody I'd out love there, to. get the that's book. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Get the book. Raised as a lie. It's, it's, uh, I'm uh, with an audio. Uh, do you have a a certain date the audio will come out, or you say you're just working on it? We just start, so yeah, I don't even it. know how long the process is going to be. I'm, I'm excited, and I promise I will definitely let you know when that project is complete and it's out in the world available for folks to consume. I got you. But, yeah, I'm going to promote your website and everything on the page, and um, I'm going to let you go. All right, thank you again. Thank you, sir. For calling in. I appreciate you. All right. You have a good uh, weekend. Thank you. You do the same. All right. Thank you. Bye.